temperatures in the upper 40s to low 50s and low temperatures in the upper 30s. The views expressed on this program are those of the host, guest, and callers and are not necessarily those of KKNW, its management, or other advertisers. This program is sponsored by Manson Mitchell. If you don't stop imagining these crazy things, I'll take you to a doctor to have you examined. GIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF, happy to have you with us. I am Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour, and you can just tell the intellectual tone of our broadcast by what we introduce ourselves with. Abin Costello meet Frankenstein. Isn't it great when intellects get together? <laughs> Unbelievable. And my goodness, we have such an esteemed guest today, too. More about this gentleman in a minute. Second time for him. Can't wait to talk to him. But let's say hello, because we're well-mannered. Let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. And Benny, please give us your post-game analysis. And I have a little comment to make on the side about the game in Munich. No. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought. Uh, excuse me, that should be nine. Oh yeah, <laughs> nine, 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 nine. <laughs> That's right. Very good. That's yeah. a glorious bastard. But, thank yes, you. as I recall. Well done. Uh, um, yeah, didn't really go our way, but you know what? I was up early, enjoying it. Um, took a nap in the afternoon. <laughs> That's how I took my uh, Sunday. <laughs> we had our brunch watching that yeah. game because we're three hours ahead of you as Lucky. we live in Florida. And it was it was really good. Mm -hmm. I'll just say this and then we'll move on. It's fascinating to me how an entire country for whom uh, American football is not native gets very excited at the end of that game. And at the end of the post game coverage, Benny, I looked in the stands because you had a big window to it where they were broadcasting. You can see fully a third of the people hadn't left the stadium yet. They wanted to stay and party. I would have done the exact same thing as well. I don't think it was any rush to get out of there. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, well, I mean, with coming back over here in the States and people posted videos and so forth like that, but apparently John Denver's a big hit over there in the stadium. So, uh, take me road country home uh, uh he is do you know why that might be true no but i will ask you my brilliant floridian <laughs> he couldn't make it so you're stuck with me <laughs> what i will say to you is there and now see if i knew you were going to bring that up because it is interesting i would have grabbed my ipad and checked it out maybe you can go online and find out john denver's actual name john denver was oh. the stage name the professional name what is his actual surname and that should tell you all you need to know on uh -huh. that subject all right well i got a little bit of time here so okay <laughs> and while you're investing that so wisely we are going to move on because we have a, a very highly esteemed man of medicine with us a physician who has put himself out there, if I may say, on the skinny branch of research and developing a theory around what are known popularly as meaningful coincidences. It's the name of his book, and it's selling like hotcakes. And that's good news. Meaningful coincidences, how and why synchronicity and serendipity happen. Our guest is Dr. Bernard Beitman, and Suzanne has some mad props to read right now. Bernard Beitman, MD, a graduate of Yale Medical School, did his psychiatric residency at Stanford University, 
the former chair of psychiatry of the University of Missouri Columbia Medical School for 17 years. He writes a blog for Psychology Today on Coincidence and is the author of the award-winning book, Learning Psychotherapy. The founder of the Coincidence Project, he lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, and this is his second visit. The first one was September 9. Fascinating conversation about meaningful coincidences, if you want to check that in the archives. And we are happy to welcome back for bite number two of the apple. Oh, look at you. Uh, welcome, Dr. Biteman. Good to have you with us today. Thanks, Suzanne. And thank you, Gary, um, for that bite. <laughs> well, your your academic credentials are absolutely sterling, top notch. This is I'll just I'll just say to you what I said to a a, a neurosurgeon I met one time whose services, fortunately, I did not need, though I was uh, in the hospital and we were consulting. And then I went to his office afterward after I was discharged from the hospital, and I went right into his office, and there on his wall. He did pre-med. I mean, he wasn't going to bother going to medical school there. He went to pre-med at Johns Hopkins. Then he goes to Harvard Medical School. He got special surgical training at both Yale Medical School and MIT. And I looked at all of these shiny credentials on his wall. And what else could I say to him? But, oh, couldn't get into Dartmouth, eh? So that's it's it's amazing. And the path that leads to it, Yale, Stanford, hello, let me ask you, just as we're getting started here, Dr. Beitman, to be in that highest echelon, is, is it exceptionally difficult to get into schools like that relative to ones that people would regard as perfectly wonderful medical schools, but some people apply, others treat them as a fallback, being just confident that they will get into an Ivy League school, for example, while others, they want to be a doctor so bad that they will go to Mexico or some other place to study medicine because they can't imagine themselves doing anything else. It, that, that was a while ago that I applied, but I think it's getting tougher uh, and the requirements are getting tighter. I'm not sure, as a lot of people say, I would have gotten into medical school uh, these days, but I would have done things differently. But the reason I got into Yale and the reason I got into Stanford was because I had done well at Swarthmore College. And at Swarthmore College, um, they write letters to medical schools uh, for their students who are going to medical school. And the, the letter that was sent about me uh, that was read at Yale and then later at Stanford for my psychiatric residency, uh, said uh, Bernie Beitman is um, one of two top medical students, two top pre-medical students. Swarthmore back then was uh, probably the third rated small college in, in the country. It, uh, it's a, a Harvard of uh, the small colleges, some people called it. I didn't know that when I was there because I went to Swarthmore because it was near my house in Wilmington, Delaware, and I thought I could play football there. That's why I went there. Uh, and some other guys I knew. So I not only was I the, the one of the two top pre-medical students, but I they called me the best athlete in the school. And that was uh, those two things probably got me into uh, those two places because I at Yale, I was not uh, a stellar student. And at Stanford, I was not a stellar resident. Um, be, and the nice thing about both Yale and Stanford, then anyway, was they didn't really have a lot of demands on us. At Yale, we were able to take the summers off. 
which they gave us research for. We didn't have to go to classes during the summers. They gave us research money for the summers off so that for one summer, I went to Los Angeles. Second summer, uh, I went to Boston. And um, third summer, I went around the world. And the, the summer in Boston was to study expectation and experience with psilocybin. Uh, I had gotten some acquaintance with um, psychedelics in LA in, when I took the summer there and found people by coincidences who were studying them uh, at Harvard. And a guy from Harvard happened to come down to Yale and I talked to him and he connected me up with the guys in Boston and Yale gave me some money to write a, a dissertation or a, a thesis because in medical school back then at Yale, you had to write some database, something or other in order to graduate. They didn't require that you took any tests. You could take whatever test you wanted except the national boards, which were, came at the end of the second year. At the end of the fourth year, you just had to do those uh, to graduate uh, or go on to the next year. And um, I managed to get through those. And at Stanford, it was even better. Uh, I, in my first year at Stanford, I was in an outpatient department for um, uh, the first year. And because it was so loose, um, I'd leave on Wednesday or Thursday morning, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, and go up to San Francisco and come back Sunday night. And back in that time, there was something called um, hate street and activities and hippies and psychedelics and dancing and a lot of stuff going on in San Francisco, uh, just down the street from Palo Alto. And I saw lots of coincidences, so many so that I had to stop myself from as we said back then, getting blown out by so many of them. And I loved seeing a sign that said, synchronicity spoken here. And that was a trigger for a lot of my interest in what we're talking about today. That is very interesting because that shows how early that you were interested in this and you had a, a lifelong career in psychiatry and psychotherapy. And yet <laughs> from back in the college days, that idea of synchronicity stayed with you all this time. We, we talked about uh, synchronicity and uh, the words synchronicity and serendipity and um, coincidence the first time you were on. So I don't necessarily want to repeat all of that. But in your book, Meaningful Coincidences, you talk about four different types. The last couple we never got to. But I wanted to read something from your book, short paragraph made me smile. And then I want you to kind of launch from there as to what kind of coincidence this is and to get into our, our topic again about coincidences. This is from page 42 of your book. And it's a paragraph called names. Like numbers, names can repeat themselves sometimes in long strings of five or more. In his book, When God Winks on Love, Squire Rushnell tells Jerry's story about the name Kimberly. His wife, Kimberly, had asked for a divorce. He reluctantly signed the divorce papers. After a few years, he started dating another Kimberly. The relationship drifted. He decided to drive three hours to his sister's house, also named Kimberly. Before leaving, he stopped at the cleaners. His ex-wife, Kimberly, was just leaving. 
Then, before he got back into his truck to leave town, his former girlfriend, Kimberly, was nearby and came to chat. He stopped at Kmart to get some film. Behind him in line was another woman named Kimberly. He then got some gas. He went to pay. The cashier was named Kimberly. Five Kimberleys within one hour. And then his future wife came into his life. Her name is Kimberly. The objects were the name Kimberly. I, I just, I giggled when I read that. It's like Kimberly's everywhere. That has to be some kind of a meaningful coincidence. What type is that? And how does that happen? Seriality is the name for that. Um, seriality is a series of verifiable by other people events. In other words, objects in the environment that anybody could see. So if somebody was sitting on his shoulder uh, looking at his experience for that hour, they would have been able to see the Kimberleys too. A lot of coincidences are mental things, mental events like images and ideas that get repeated in the environment. But here, anybody could see that there were five Kimberleys in this guy's life if they were able to watch it. So that's seriality. It was a invented term by Paul Kammerer, uh, a uh, Viennese uh, botanist, biologist, um, who just got caught up in understanding and describing uh, seriality. He thought that back in 1919, when he wrote the book, he thought that maybe uh, these experiences like this Kimberly could be explained in conventional scientific terms rather than the more abstract idea of Jung's uh, uh, synchronicity, by which Jung meant um, an a-causal connecting principle that was somewhat related to quantum mechanics, quantum physics, he th he thought that perhaps that that um, that ideas stayed together or started together, and then various things split them apart. But there still there was a tendency, in this case, for the Kimberleys to come back together again. So there was there's an idea that information is not uh, created or destroyed necessarily, but once it's created, it stays around and it can come together the way it, they came together in, in this Kimberly manner. I, I tend to, um, to think about it a little differently, but the camera has probably got something... Um, to say about all this that that he had Kimberly on his mind and because Kimberly was so much in his mind and being repeated uh, a couple of times what it suggests to me and suggests what a lot of coincidences suggest uh, about other people's experiences is that our minds are not so disconnected from our environment that our minds are part of our environment, that we tend to be thinking of ourselves as solo. But we're not. We're part of other people's minds. Uh, we're part of other people's uh, environments. The environment is part of us. And these coincidences tell us that our current view of reality, which is that I'm a solo mind separate from everything else, is incorrect that our minds are much more connected to what's around us than we currently tend to believe. The interconnected web of life, as it were. 
as it were. I didn't coin that. I just remember reading it somewhere. Well, doctor, you could not have set up my next anecdote better. It's just a perfect segue into what I want to relate. And as I often say, stories drive our version of talk radio. So it's always good to get into these incidents. There was a time, uh, I'm going to say this is five or six years ago, Suzanne and I wanted to go out for breakfast. And I said, you know what, let's go to that place where we keep seeing Wendy Ross. Now, Wendy Ross is a popular former, she's retired now, retired meteorologist, the weather lady here in Sarasota, quite popular. And um, we would see her at this diner. So I said, you know what, I'm going to ask her. I, I like Wendy. I like watching her do the weather. So it, we see her in there today. I'm going to say, hey, Wendy, what are you going to do about the weather? Just to josh her a little bit and say hello, because I do enjoy her work on TV. And so we went to our favorite diner. We went in there and I looked around and guess what happened? Not a damn thing. She wasn't there at all. We had our breakfast. There was no Wendy. And I'm like, oh, you know, okay. I'll save it for when I see her sometime. And we enjoyed a nice breakfast. And Suzanne says, there's something I got to pick up at the hardware store. Let's go to the hardware store. It's on the way back. We'll go and take that back road. and It'll take us home. I said, okay, whatever. So we went to the hardware store and we get out of the car and we're walking toward it. And as I'm going there, entering from an angle perpendicular to me, in the parking lot, here comes Wendy, the weather lady, and she is walking straight for us there. And I looked out at her when she was within shouting distance. I just called out, hey, Wendy, what are you going to do about the weather? And she and Suzanne and I talked for several minutes right outside the entrance to the hardware store. We got into which religion we were, how long Suzanne and I had been in Florida, what was her background, and we discovered that we have a shared passion for animal welfare. And all of this happened just as we gathered after I'd given up on the idea. It seemed abstruse to me, like I'm going to run into her, I'm going to say this thing, and yeah, I'll choose that. There's some intentionality behind it, and maybe less than. 45 minutes from the breakfast non-encounter to having a conversation with Wendy Ross, the weather lady, all came together on one morning because I decided that it should happen. And after that, I don't know how it happened. Um, I think once again, uh, you two are a dynamic duo because it didn't happen just because you thought about it. That was the start of it. But that uh, sidekick of yours, Suzanne, said, let's go to the hardware store. Right. And that's what made the difference. Uh, and that, that without Suzanne doing that and helping you realize what you had in mind, it wouldn't have happened. And then there's the third part, which would be that Wendy decided to go to the hardware store the same morning at, in the same time frame, which that's what blew my mind. Well, that is such an important thing you're saying there, Gary, because too often, as I just did, we only think of the coincidence from my personal perspective, in this case, uh, yours and Suzanne. But we have to think about it from the other person's perspective, too. How did it happen that she ended up being there around the same time? And I, I call this general thing human GPS the ability to be where you need to be without knowing how you got there. And that requires space and time. It has to be the right space and the timing has to be right. 
Now, some people will say that uh, the two of you were being precognitive, that you were predicting the future, and you kind of just knew it was going to happen. Other people might have a, a different perspective on that. You know, when you talk about uh, information, uh, it seems to me as though uh, with when you're saying these minds are, are part of our environment, yeah, it, it seems as though there's some stickiness involved too. Um, you know, when you have, uh, you know, multiple Kimberleys or you marry two people who have the same first name, uh, there, there's, there's some kind of uh, uh, attraction, magnetic something that happens with certain things. I, I think a lot of people have seen that with uh, clocks and numbers, the old 1111. So it will come up for them. And, and is it that they're looking for it? They're expecting it? There's some involvement that we have, but I think it's on a subconscious level, don't you think? Oh, I agree. I agree. So whether it's 11-11 or you're going to marry multiple Roberts or whatever it is, you know, kind of interesting. It's happens a lot. I mean, I think there's a, so many of these things are not reported or people just don't pay much attention to them enough to remember them. But this this idea that that they're you're attracted somehow or some things are attracted to you somehow and it's the somehow that i'm most interested in that that these think connections between what you're feeling thinking and your environment uh matching what you're saying or thinking or imagining is pretty common and it it's a it's a, a mirroring by the environment of what we have in our minds our minds are mirrored by events in our surroundings not all the time by any means uh, but under certain conditions that's more likely to happen maybe more often than we realize more yeah, often it, than we yeah, more yeah. often than we think running into certain people at just the right time making connections and you know i, I there's there's this idea in the back of my head that if we are doing this at a subconscious level, can we bring that up to a conscious level? Can we be more creative in our stating what it is that we want? The way Gary said, you know, the next time I run into that weather lady, and, and so is there a way to kind of put things out there that will really attract them at a, a faster rate? And, and if that's the case, if we're that co-creative, then you really want to be careful about what it is you're creating. Oh, that's one of my favorite things back in the old days is uh, giving people what they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it didn't exactly work out. Uh, there was a woman who was like, uh, wanted, it was a nurse and wanted a job. And I put her together with a situation that needed a nurse, but the fit for her was awful. I, she had to get out of there. So that was that was an early example of what you're talking about. You may you got to be careful. You may get what you want. It, it the this imagining and energizing the imagining under the right conditions uh, will help things to happen. I don't make them happen. I don't think that. Um, but will help them to happen, facilitate things to happen. Uh, what I'm trying to do now with the Coincidence Project 
which uh, I founded and we're a nonprofit in the state of Virginia now. We have a board and we're trying to look official and make something happen. Uh, we need cash right now. So anybody interested in coincidences and has some extra money to, for it, just go to um, the Coincidence Project website and uh, there is going to be a way to be able to, uh, to donate to us. But I got this going because I wanted to be able to do a lot of things, which includes what we're doing now. And I appreciate being able to talk with you again to sensitize other people to the existence of meaningful coincidences. They happen a lot. They happen a lot. And if they happen a lot, what does that mean? Well, it can mean stuff, something personally, like Gary uh, got his wish to come true with Suzanne's help. But it also tells us about our minds being connected to our environment uh, in, a, in ways that we don't really think about. And we, if that takes us, that idea takes us that we're much more connected with our environment than we think to the actual fact of global warming. We are, we are creating an environment right now as human beings that is not helpful to the survival of not just humans, but a lot of plant and animal species around the world. We are embedded in this earth and what's around us is in us and what's in us is around us. And we need to be able to conceptualize a better future than the one we're ignoring right now, which is to just keep using land and water and energy and making the planet hotter and hotter. Good point. Why don't we go ahead and take our break now? Okay. There, This idea of needing to be careful what you wish for, I'd like to pick up the threads of that because I just, I think it has a lot of operational value and I'll explain what I mean by that on the other side of this short break. Dr. Bernard Beitman is our honored guest of this hour. His book is called Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. I've never met anyone who was not interested in this subject matter. So we're delighted to have you with us, Doc. Give us a couple of minutes. We'll be back. We are Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in to the very epicenter of that genre of radio. Glad to have you with us here on AM 1150. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is mansonmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Bernard Beitman for a return visit to discuss more meaningful coincidences. Can we create them? On Saturday, Karen Dahlman talks about the fine art of divination, including Ouija boards, Yijing, tarot, and lesser-known methods, all meant to help us navigate our lives. Bringing you fascinating talks since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Dr. Bernard Beitman. Dr. Beitman, in addition to the Coincidence Project, uh, if people want to get your book or they want to connect with you or maybe add some of their own stories to ones that you already know about, where is the best place for them to do that? Right now, go to my, my book website, which is coincider.com, C-O-I-N-C-I-D-E-R, coincider.com. You can put my name in the search engine, put coincidence after it, you'll get there too. And the, the or put my book in there, you'll get that too. But in coincider.com on the fourth page, you can put your stories in. You can start getting linked up with the coincidence project website which is going to come up which is going to go up in about a week or so and you can also at the bottom of the page take the weird coincidence survey which will give you some idea about how sensitive you are to coincidences compared with other people and if you want to get on our email list or even come to the coincidence cafe just let me know through that through the link to sending me an email on that page and you can uh, we'll put you on the email list and uh, connect you up if you want with the coincidence cafe the coincidence cafe is a place where people can tell each other on zoom tell each other their own coincidence stories the idea is for the coincidence project is to encourage people to tell each other coincidence stories because that's a way that people get more sensitized to their existence, their potential usefulness, and also how they give us clues to how reality works. Oh, I love that. I love that. Tell, telling your stories because other people will say, oh, yes, that reminds me of one. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got that, that group think going on. And I do like this idea about looking at reality from a very different way because um you know you get stuck in that rutted thinking you think life is one way and then something happens to smack you upside the head and you go oh i guess things weren't exactly what i thought they were well here's a nice way to be able to also consider what our reality is all about and our culture could use the shift I also want to go ahead and spell your last name, if you don't mind. Dr. Bernard Beitman is B-E-I-T-M-A-N. If you want to look him up and just put in coincidences and you will find him. Very good. And um, okay, I did want to mention very quickly, uh, people were wondering, uh, what's the thing, uh, the, the German fan, John Denver. John Denver what's yep. You can read better than me that name up there. We got a chat from Benny. 
That's John name? Denver's real name. Deutschendorf. Yes. Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. Right. So his there father, were two of those in the world. His father is Henry John Deutschendorf Sr. And the Germans liked him. Interesting. I, yeah, okay. I don't know why. So, <laughs> so here we are talking about meaningful coincidences with Dr. Beitman. I love this topic. Oh, I mean, endlessly. When fascinating. we saw this book, we just got so excited, and we read it cover to cover. I mean, it is a fun, fun, fun read with all kinds of good stories. I hope to get to another one, but you first, Gary. Quite simply, this, Dr. <laughs> Beitman. Uh, you would be far more uh, granularly aware of the work of William James than I am. But I do know this. William James, often referred to as the father of modern psychology, he cautioned people in a way. I mean, I mean, it was inviting, but at the same time, you need to be careful. That's what I took from reading this quote from him there, which I don't have on me, but I'll tell you what he said, which in essence, which was, that when your subconscious mind is engaged through a strong desire that you may have and you conceptualize it, you imagine it, that your action relative to the goal you wish to achieve or the thing you would like to experience acts upon your subconscious mind rather like a claim or a demand and your subconscious mind goes to work on it. I find that just so full of potential for human growth and experience it's it's overwhelming to me. And this is about circa 1900 when he figured this out. Yeah, that's I'm familiar with that. I I think it might surprise you to know that I played in Husky Stadium. Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I lived not too far from there. It wasn't as a Husky, though. It was like a it's like a flag football playoff game. Because uh, I, I was playing when I was at the University of Washington, I was I was playing um, on a flag football team, and our championship game was at Husky Stadium. And uh, I was enough of a threat that they had to put two guys on me in a rainy day in in Seattle. And uh, I think we lost that game. But the reason I bring that up is because uh, I did that without really knowing William James. Um, I thought of what I wanted to have happen on the on the football field and on the baseball field and uh they happened uh it it's uh one time i i mean for a while i wanted to run back the opening kickoff for a touchdown and i have at, at swarthmore college i did that at the beginning of uh, the second half against one of our arch rivals and the nice thing is i have the 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 movie of that 97 yard run i oh, still wow. have it it's on my website uh, number 23 in case you want to go to it uh it 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 was it was quite uh an experience to see my face and running on the in the philadelphia inquirer uh after having done that and to see the film uh of that run so i was able to do that and i have a documentation of it uh visually and i also wanted to hit the opening pitch of a game for a home run i, I was a leadoff hitter and and uh, won the batting title because I could bunt when I was in high school. I won the batting title with seven bunts out of 17 hits. But this was a playoff game in American Legion against a Southern Delaware team. And I was in the Northern Delaware team in American Legion. And I was up first in the bottom of the second, first inning and um, hit the first pitch for a home run over the center fielder's head. Uh, and so I got to do 
that that just imagining but it's not enough to imagine william james it's not enough to imagine those of you who talk about the secret it's not enough to imagine it you got to be doing something about it you've got to be doing something about it you have to be trying to hit the ball for example you got to have some idea about when i receive the ball at the three yard line off the kickoff, I got to know that I want to fake left so I can pull the guys coming after me a little bit to my left and go right. And that helped go 97 yards. You got to know something about what you're doing and that and imagining it is part of the process of helping it to happen. I, I know that um, both basketball players and golfers have, there are stories about how they imagine the ball going into the basket. They imagine hitting the golf ball at the right trajectory and right speed to get a hole in one. And there are all kinds of stories about their imagining how these things work. But it does also require you to get out on the basketball court. It really or, does. Or get onto the golf course. It isn't as though you can do it completely in your head and then you know golf par you you have to be able to put some physical effort in to match the mental effort i think that's what you're saying yes that's what i'm saying that's yeah. what i'm saying uh, it, it, it gets a little more uh, curious uh uh in one of my other ex football experiences at swarthmore college uh, which is outside of philadelphia pennsylvania um this is my senior year and we were getting ready to play Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Uh, but we were at, at our practice field on a Thursday. Uh, and I don't know what made me do this. I still don't know what made me do this, but I left the big practice field, set up two tackling dummies, which are about three feet high and kind of weighted to the bottom um, and put it about uh, a foot, two feet apart. I put them down next to each other, about two feet apart, turned my back on them, walked uh, 10 yards or so from them, uh, pretended and then turned around to look at them and then turned back around and had I had a football with me and crunched down on the football as if I had just received it, turned back around, ran through the two tackling dummies once and then another time and then went back to the football field and i didn't think much of it it was like that's what i did so on saturday the punter uh wasn't kicking the ball very well and i returned punts and i got a little mad because he wasn't kicking it very well i couldn't uh, i couldn't catch him so this time he kicked it very well enough so that i had to turn my back to the johns hopkins football players and everybody else on my team and catch the ball over my shoulders. So I caught the ball over my shoulder and just like I was had my back before the tackling dummies, turned around and instead of tackling dummies, I saw two Johns Hopkins guys next to each other coming straight at me. So I could say to myself, I, I saw this before. I knew what to do. I ran yeah. right between them and yeah. hey joe you get him no max you get him and i ran right through and went 90 yards for a, a touchdown <laughs> i love that i had no idea you were a great athlete that's amazing what a thrill 
it's so much fun playing football, man. I still miss it. Uh, so much fun. I got scouted by the Oakland Raiders. Uh, good, good enough for that. Well, now, congratulations to you, sir, for being considered. There was a time in my life, and I don't want to go on and on about this. We have a lot more to discuss in our brief time together. But the Oakland Raiders, there, I was such a fan for about 10, 12 years of the Oakland Raiders that I was credibly accused of turning it into kind of a false religion. <laughs> There, this is the, the heyday of people like Ken Stabler, et cetera, et cetera. Back in the day when the Oakland Raiders were the Oakland Raiders there. And I think that's fantastic that you were considered by them. The Oakland Raiders, they were pro football's dynamic organization. If they said so themselves, that's how they were known. And to participate at that level, can you imagine being on a team, Doc, on a team where you've got guys who are lucky they're not in prison, but under Al Davis and a coach like John Madden, they coalesced into a team that was capable of winning the Super Bowl. And the team has won three Super Bowls in the franchise history. That's really something. Yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad I wasn't playing too well that day. I'd gotten hurt the week before. Uh, and because of another guy I played uh, semi-pro baseball with did go to a tryout camp and they beat the guy up. I mean, he's about the same size as I was. They beat him up. Uh, it's, I, 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 I was no uh, Bolitnikov. I, I didn't have the moves and I wasn't tough enough. So I was glad that I went on to, to uh, medical school rather than going play for the Raiders. But it was, it was nice to think about it for sure. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I knew one guy, I'll just mention this quickly, uh, a guy who was um, in the family there by marriage of uh, a lady I was seeing at the time way back when, and old Oakland Raiders fans will understand this, this uh, friend of mine there uh, went to UCLA and freshman year, he decided to be a walk-on and he thought that he would be good on defense. He, he wanted to be a pass rusher or maybe a linebacker, but he wanted to get into the defensive side. There And so he just shows up on the field for tryout day and they lined him up, this raw freshman at UCLA, they lined him up for a scrimmage against the center, Dave Dalby. <laughs> there. And there, he lasted one play, <laughs> one play. And then he's flat on his back all of a sudden staring at the sky and he decided football wasn't for him. <laughs> Dave Dalby, of course, being an all pro uh, center for the Oakland Raiders, a legend, as a matter of fact. And I mean, you line up, you're going to be a walk on and you're facing against him. Yep. So that was, I mean, the extraordinary moments that we have. That's great. Here's a whole other side to you, Doc, that I didn't know. This is great. Well, thanks. Thanks. I was going in one direction and I'm now switching directions. Go for it. And that is, I want to go back to something that you were talking about a little earlier because it's an idea that I find so intriguing and sometimes when we talk about things it's really hard to grasp them with just one listening so I want to read a paragraph and then tell a little story here and this paragraph is on page 107 Paul Kammerer the Viennese biologist mentioned earlier, attempted to systematize his observations of these series and to develop explanations for how they occur within the limits of current scientific knowledge. He proposed that information could not be destroyed. That's, that's key to this. The longer a system stays together 
every part within and surrounding it gains the stamp of the system. When the system does break apart, the broken pieces carry with them the marks of the original system. One way to create coincidences comes from their constant motion. The parts can run into each other using the idea that like attracts like, similar parts of the same system come together to create a coincidence series. Kammerer believed that our environment holds limitless amounts of information that is in constant motion and mostly outside of our ability to see it. And I'm gonna repeat the story that I was mentioning on the break because I see it as fitting right into that Paul Kammerer theory. And that is that a, uh, as a, um, a uh, junior high student, I used to walk home from school about a half a mile and somebody moved into the neighborhood living just one block further up. And it was a very studious, tall, good looking man named Gary. And so Gary and I would, he'd walk me to my door and then he'd keep going to his house. And I moved away in high school and there was no big romance. We were just friends in junior high and mostly just walking home buddies. That's all. And I completely forgot about him. I, I, I put him out of my mind entirely. And so when I met Gary Mance, I thought that he was probably the first Gary I had ever known. And on the second date that we had standing in line for a movie, my mom called on my cell phone and I told her I'm having my second date with somebody that I met at church. And she said, what's his name? And when I said, Gary, she laughed and said, if you had been born a boy, your name would have been Gary, which caused all of us to laugh about that. So when you were talking about Paul Kammerer, I was thinking there are Gary parts that are going on that I would have been a Gary before I was born. When my mom and dad said, you know, well, if she's a girl, we'll go with this name. And if she's a boy, it'll be Gary. Then I meet a Gary in junior high. The only one that I can ever recall meeting who is named Gary, a uh, nice tall man. And then much later in my middle years, I meet my second Gary. And it is almost like the, that information was out there in the universe and there it was being sticky or magnetic and the parts were flying around until they came back together again. Does, does that make sense according to what Paul Kammerer was saying? It does, it does. Yeah, Gary parts. <laughs> There's a whole show in that. <laughs> And they all kind of came together once again. You know, the fact that I would have been a Gary, that I knew a Gary in junior high, the only one that I can ever remember. Right. And then my Gary of today. I want to ask you, Doc, one thing that I think is crucial to our understanding. I know you've got an interview at the top of the hour, so you'll have to uh, depart a few minutes earlier than would otherwise be the case. And there will be a, a round three. As long as you're willing, we're going to do it. But let me ask you, doctor, about this. The idea that uh, there are the scientists whose uh, commitment 
to the study of the brain does not allow them, at least currently, to go beyond the thought that what is contained within our craniums is a uh, an electrical, beautiful, elegant system there. It is the human brain, self-contained, and when the body dies, the brain goes with it, and that means consciousness as well. Other people, increasingly I meet them and interview them on this show, they say that consciousness is non-local, that it is outside. It uses the human brain, but it isn't exhausted in its meaning by either the activity or the death of the human brain. How do you get those people in a room to agree to anything for the future of science? They seem to be at loggerheads. The people who think the brain is uh, the mind that comes out of the brain and those who think the mind is separate from the brain somehow. Like clashing like the, like clashing the paradigms. Right. Yeah, clashing. And that's, there, there's an old saying, you may have heard it, that uh, uh, old paradigms die one funeral at a time. The people who hold those ideas hold them rigidly and don't want to give them up. So it's a, an appeal to flexible-minded adults as well as to younger people to try to be able to suggest, hey, there's more going on here than you think and what you're being told. There's more going on here. And one of those ideas is that mind is not simply a product of brain activity. It's a desire for materialistic science to think that's the case because that's the way they want to explain it but they can't really give you an explanation for what mind is and never and not even tell you how it how it's created now the quantum thing is very popular non-local uh is a big popular phrase and it has something to do with electrons or photons that are paired and then separated. And at a distance, if you hit one of them a certain way, the other one instantly will react the same. So local means it's happening in the usual causal way uh, in, the, in a related space somehow near you, where non-local means it's happening someplace else at the same time. So it's not a local phenomena it's a non-local phenomena but non-local doesn't tell you what non-local is it just says it's non-local and I, I i get loco with people telling me it's non-local it just makes me nuts because i don't think they know what they're talking about they have a lot of ways to think about it a lot of basis in material in, in quantum mechanics to be able to talk about it uh jung got into interested in in the quantum ideas quantum fields uh when he, when he got introduced by wolfgang Pauli into the uh, physics of uh, the 30s which was talking about quantum mechanics i prefer to think of this stuff first originating in something i call the, the psychosphere our mental atmosphere that we are all connected yes but it doesn't have to be non-local it can be around us like atmosphere our air atmosphere is right around us we don't get oxygen from some non-local space it's right there and same thing is true of being able to know what somebody else is thinking at a distance telepathy and also what I did on that with those tackling dummies is to somehow have some idea of the future before you actually see it. And that's information in the psychosphere, much like we talk about storing information in the cloud. Uh, and there's no cloud. It's just a bunch of uh, metal someplace with uh, stuff to, to store what we're talking about right now. 
there's there's something going on here we don't know what it is but i'd rather not call it local non-local i'll say we have a mental atmosphere through which our minds are communicating with each other and our minds are somehow related individually to the greater psychosphere thank you so much once again for your time today dr bernard beitman his book meaningful coincidences how and why synchronicity and serendipity happen. Next time you're with us, and I hope there's a next time, let's talk about the consciousness project, the coincidences involved, all that you're working on in various modalities to get the word out about this extraordinary phenomenon. We love talking to you, Doc, and we hope that we'll get together soon. Well, we'll arrange it. So thanks for the invitation. And you have happy it. holidays. Thank you. Very good. All right. I, I love this conversation about the uh, synchronicities, don't you, Gary? I do, because this is the stuff of real life. I mean, if you put this and I'll just say this, if you put some of the experiences that our listeners have had, that Benny has had, that you and I have had, if you put any of that together in a script for a television show, or some movie. It wouldn't be believable. You might not get yeah. greenlighted for the project. Come on, we're not talking about fairy tales over here. And all of that could be rooted in real life, verifiable experiences. That's yeah. why we do this. Yeah. It's always a trip, that. though, too. You guys were talking about all these stories. And, you know, many people on this planet have similar run-ins or serendipitous yeah. movements or synchronicity ideas and thoughts. And it's really impressive, like... Everyone's got something to chat about on that level. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody's had really odd things that have happened like that. Yeah. And and they're surprising. They're delightful. Mm -hmm. You you wonder when will something like that happen again? And you kind of look for them. And I and I, what I like about the coincidence project is he's saying, tell your stories. You know, cre create that atmosphere because it can be useful. You don't have to think, oh, this is some real crazy thing that happened to me. You can know that um, a lot of this stuff happens to a lot of different people. Yeah. And then it, it becomes, can I do it on purpose? Yeah, exactly. I love that. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a wonderful thing and we love doing it. We love talking about it. This is one aspect of metaphysics and the study of the mind. I'm so happy that we get to talk about it on the radio. This is important stuff to know. I think so, too. And speaking of important stuff, who do you have on Trip Talk today at 1 o'clock? My friend Jamie Jensen, who is the master of the two-lane highway road trip. We're going to talk about fall colors in New England. Which is full of snow right now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so hold off a few days until it dries, melts away, and then go go to the Berkshires. All right. Join <laughs> us tomorrow. We're going to have more fun then at, at 10 o'clock Pacific. Let this be the start of your great weekend, everyone.